We didn't say that it has to be written down. But it is a contract. And in any contract you have two parties. Two people who are involved. The first party and the second party. The first party and the second party. This is the first thing that you have to have in any Islamic transaction. You have to have the first party, you have to have the second party. Okay. What is the second thing you need to have? You need to have al-ma'qudu alayh. You need to have the object or the service, the benefit that is the that is being transferred from one person to another bearing in mind that that also has two aspects to it usually in the topic of bay'ah we're talking about exchanging goods and services for money although as we said that's not necessarily the case you may exchange a service for a service and you may exchange goods for goods and you may exchange money for money that is still a type of al-bay'ah However, it's a specific type that is dealt with in a separate chapter because it, is, it has its own separate conditions and rules. But if you're going to buy something or sell something, the object of the sale has to be, I mean, the object of the sale and the money which is exchanged for it, we need that, we need to have the... the the two things, that the thing which is passed from one person to another. And usually when we talk about bay'ah, we talk about exchanging goods and services for money. That is the norm. However, we may also have a contract of exchanging goods for goods, services for services, or money for money, but those have their own names. When we exchange goods for goods, we call it muqayada. And when we exchange Money for money, we call it musarafa. Any goods for goods, I think we call it something like bartering in English. And money for money, we call it currency exchange. So generally, when the ulama talk about Kitabul Bay'ah, the chapter of buying and selling, usually, normally, not all the time, but normally the discussion is goods and services in return for money. So we said there are three pillars. The first pillar is you got to have the two parties. The second pillar is you've got to have the things which they are exchanging with each other. Because how did we define al-bay'ah? We said mubadalat malin bimal walaw fi dhimma aw manfa'a ala ta'abid. This is the definition of al-bay' in Islam. Mubadalatu malin bimalin, exchanging wealth for wealth or exchanging property for property, yani something you own for something you own. Walaw fi even if it is based on a promise. Or a benefit, yani exchanging a benefit for money or a benefit for a benefit, like a service for a service. 
as long as that exchange is permanent. So you have to have the thing which is exchanged. You can't have bayr if nothing changes hands. And if something has to change hands, something has to go from this person to this person, and from that person to this person. That is the second thing that you need to have. And the third thing that you need to have is you need to have a sirah. You need to have the the phrase or the terminology or the uh, the verbal or written terms. Maybe that's a good word for sirah. The terms of of sale. The terms of sale. And it's more than just terms. I mean, terms might might we might say shurut are terms, but it's more than that. It's whether the sale has taken place or not, whether it is a promise to sell in the future, whether the word used is rent or sell or you know exchange or how much you know whether the people are happy or not. It's important that there should be the the phrases or the words that are used to carry out that transaction. That is what the sirah is. So we go back again and we say that the topic of bay'ah in Islam, of buying and selling, there are three things that must be there. The first is al-aqid, meaning you have to have the two parties. You have to have a buyer and you have to have a seller. The second thing you have to have is al-ma'qudu alayh. You have to have something which is given from the buyer and something which is given from the seller. Yani the thing which is exchanged. The benefit or the money or the property which is exchanged from one person to the other. And the third thing you have to have is you have to have the words and the phrases and the terms that are used to carry out that transaction. And generally in the topic of al-bay'ah, there is more discussion on the last point than there is on the other two. Because the other two are relatively easy. Relatively easy. In the sense that you obviously have to have a person who is able to carry out a transaction. And you can't have the first party be a small child. You can't have the first party be someone who is, not, who is uh, insane or something like that. And of course you have to have a halal product or service. You have to have a halal product or service. You can't be selling alcohol. You can't be yani, selling... Uh, you know, for example, a, a, a dog or something like that. But the discussion about the first two is relatively simple, relatively simple and relatively small in comparison to the discussion on the last point, which are the phrase or the words, the terminology that is used in order to carry out the sale. Because this is where we get things like terms and conditions. You know, like they write on the bottom of the adverts when they advertise things. They say terms and conditions apply. 
Because the terms and conditions, this is where we get into a lot of discussion about what constitutes a sale and what constitutes a promise to sell. And how do I know that a sale actually took place? If I say to you, will you sell me your bag for 200 dirhams? And you say yes, is that a sale or not? If you and me are in the masjid and I say to you, I'm selling my car for 30,000 dirhams and you say, I'll buy it from you and I say, okay, I'll sell it to you. And we're in the masjid, did that sale take place or not? This is where there is a lot of discussion on this. On the last point, there is a lot more in terms of content and discussion than there are on the first The first thing that the author mentions is he mentions that buying and selling take place in one of two ways. Either by what is called al-mu'atah. Now I might have mixed up this last time and I might have to, I, I have a feeling that I Instead of say that when I was talking about goods for goods, I might have used the word mu'ata. That's not goods for goods. That's my, that was me probably, and he didn't have my cup of tea in the morning. Mu'ata is where the transaction takes place without any verbal or written agreement. And this is actually most buying and selling takes place like this today with mu'ata. Which means that today, most buying and selling takes place without you saying to the person, are you going to sell me this? Yes, I've sold it to you. Do you agree to buy it? Yes, I agree to buy it. If you go to the supermarket today, what do you do? You put your goods on the till and they scan them and you give the money that you already knew they were going to ask you for and they take it from you and you walk out with the goods and they keep the money. This is mu'alta. You didn't go with your can of milk and say, are you going to sell me this can of milk for 10 dirhams? Yes. Do you agree to buy it for 10 dirhams? Yes. Instead what you do, you just put it on the counter and give, with your, you already have your 10 dirham note or 10 dirham 50 or 11 dirhams, you already have it in your hand. And you just show them the milk and you give them the money. Why? Because the price is already known and the seller has made it known they will accept anyone who gives that price. That is different to when you go out and buy a car. When you go out and buy a car, is it the case that the seller will accept anyone and you just turn up and you look around the car? And you just, you know, you put the keys on the table and you, you come with 20,000 dirhams and you put it on the table and he gives you the keys and you walk away without saying anything. No, the, there is almost always a verbal or written discussion that takes place. Where you say, how much do you want for the car? 20,000 dirhams. Will you accept 18? I'll accept 19. Okay, I'll buy it for you. I am buying it from you for 19,000. 
Okay, sold. There is a, there is a verbal discussion. This is what the ulama call ijab wa qabul. This is called ijab wa qabul. An offer and an acceptance. This is called an offer and an acceptance. Al-mu'ata is where there is no offer and acceptance. And this is permissible, there is nothing wrong with it, especially because of the need of people for it. But what is the case in Al-Mu'ata? It is already understood, the price of the item is already understood. And it's understood that the seller will sell to anyone who brings the money. So there are two things for this to to work. The price of the item has to be understood. There's no good picking up the milk and you just, you know, you don't know how much the milk is and you just give 10 dirhams and they, you know, they turn, it doesn't work like that. It has to be known how much the item is. And it has to be the case that the seller is willing to sell to anybody who gives the money. And usually the seller will have many of these items. They will have like a hundred bottles of milk. And so they're not like fussy about who they're going to sell it to and whether they get a better price and if you offer me 12, I'll sell it to you. But if you offer me 9, I'm not going to sell it to you. And it's a, it's, a, it's a fixed price item and they are willing to sell it to the first person who offers them the fixed price. And so in this case, it is not necessary for you to have offer and acceptance. It's not necessary for there to be any discussion. The, the buying and selling happens by them giving you the goods and by you giving them the money. It happens by التعاطي muata. It happens by you take the goods in one hand and you give them the money in the other hand and it the fact that you walk out with the goods and nobody shouts at you and they keep the money and nobody shouts at them is enough for the buying and the selling to take place. Okay. The second way is ijab and qabul. And as you know, ijab and qabul offer an acceptance. We also have it in nikah as well, in the topic of nikah, al-ijab or qabul. An offer and an acceptance. Generally, the offer is from who? The offer is from the, uh, generally, uh, the, uh, the offer is from the seller and the acceptance is from the buyer but it can be the other way around and as we're going to hear it has to be clear that the sale has taken place so what do we mean by the offer and acceptance from both sides okay in Arabic generally for this to work and to be proven it has to be in the past tense meaning it's happened because the present tense in Arabic could be used for the future in Arabic you can use the present tense and intend by it the future so we don't say abi'uka hadha al-qalam bi dirham i am selling you this pen for 1 dirham 
Because in Arabic this could refer to the future. And I'll sell it to you next week. Yeah. Instead, in Arabic we use the past tense. Bi'tuka hadha al-qalam bidirham. I have sold you this pen for one dirham. And the buyer says, Qabiltu, I accept. Or he may show his acceptance by, as we said, Mu'ata. He may show his acceptance by giving the money. He may show this acceptance by, by giving the money. But the, the original way of doing it is that the seller will say, I have sold you this pen for one dirham. And the buyer will say, I have accepted. Now in English, it's, it's a little more difficult because in English we don't have, we, we don't have this issue of past and present tense and, and it's, not so, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, but it's, it, it, one of the conditions is that the sale, the word should indicate that the sale has taken place. Not that it will take place next week. Not that it will take place. So not like, I'm selling you this for a dirham. It could mean anything. You know, it could mean I'm going to sell you, I might sell you, I'm thinking of selling you. It should be absolutely clear that the sale has taken place. This is sold to you for a dirham. And the person says, I accept. Or the other way around. The person says, I have bought this from you for a dirham. And the buyer says, the seller says, I accept to sell it to you. So it could be either way around. Generally, it's the seller that makes the offer and the buyer that says, accept, I accept. But it may be the other way around. There is no harm in it being the other way around. There is no harm in the buyer saying to the seller, I have bought this from you for a dirham. And the seller says, I accept, meaning I have sold it to you. Or any words which indicate acceptance, like it's yours. Or, yes, I agree, or okay, for sure, or very well, or anything which indicates that there is an offer and there is an acceptance. In the madhab, and again, you know, I want to emphasize that what we're talking about is the madhab, and, and sometimes the students, are still, we're still finding our way, you know, still people are saying, you know, why don't you tell us the rajih? Why don't you tell us the correct opinion? Just to give you a, yani just to give you a reason for this. Uh, there is a quote that I read from one of the mashayikh recently. Um, that he said, I studied fiqh for 10 years. Studying the rajih, the correct opinion. Yani not the madhab. And then I realized that the way of the salaf in studying is to study the madhab. Any meaning that any, there's you yourself need to know the correct opinion. You need to know the right opinion. But if you want to study fiqh as a science, 
in the sense that you want to develop yourself to the point where you get to the point where you are able to come to the correct conclusion yourself, you have to study through a madhab. Because otherwise you, it's very, very difficult to be able to gather all of these sciences together in a way. It's like trying to do a jigsaw when the pieces come from different puzzles. It's like trying to do a jigsaw puzzle, but your pieces don't come from the same puzzle. One comes from this puzzle, one comes from that puzzle, one is a picture of a landscape, one is a picture of a flower, one is a picture of a, a building, and one is a picture of the globe. You cannot make the pieces fit together. In your own practice of Islam, you need to know the correct opinion. The madhab doesn't make any difference. You need to know what is the sunnah, what is the right opinion. But for developing your knowledge to become to the level where you are able to choose the right opinion, you need to follow a curriculum. And that is why, and we're going to come, I'm just keep, you know, putting these ideas. In the last class, we're going to come to a conclusion of the benefits and the harms of a madhab. What are the, you've seen some of the harms. Some of the harms is you leave and you don't know whether it's the correct opinion. You leave and someone sends me a message and says, I, I, I trade in honey, how, ma- how much zakah do I have to pay? And I send them back, there is no zakah on honey. They said, but you said in the class there is, 10, there is 10%. La wallah, there is no zakah on honey. But in the madhab, there is 10%. So the point is, it, there are harms, there are problems, and you need to know what they are. But if you use the madhab in the right way, it will benefit you and you will not be able to get that benefit from anywhere else. And in nobody, nobody abadan reached the level of ijtihad of being able to make their own verdicts in Islam and being a scholar of fiqh without studying a madhab. Certainly in the latter part of our time, maybe we can make an exception to that in the earliest days of Islam. But once I'm talking about from the age of the tabi'een onwards, nobody did this without a madhab. However, you yourself, in terms of how you pray and how you fast and how you do business transactions, the madhab makes no difference to you. Because what matters is the sunnah. And the sunnah is not contained within one specific madhab. We're going to come back to this, but I'm just kind of vanny. Just touch upon it from time to time. So in the madhab there are seven conditions that are required. And this is one of the nice things about, about the madhab, things like this. You know, you get remember seven conditions for a sale to be valid. The first is arrida, contentment from both sides. That means that the seller and the buyer must both be happy to conduct the transaction. That takes out two things. It takes out stolen uh, property and it also takes out forced sales. Stolen property, you know, like, because it's, it's a kind of, I mean, you know, it's a kind of exchange. It's a kind of, it's, you know, you're taking something from somebody. But this is, I mean, you cannot, 
you cannot consider stolen property to be a valid any stealing something from someone to be a valid sale so what I bought it I took it from him it's a, a bayer I, I, I bought it from him because he was not happy to sell it even if you gave him money for it and you came with a you know couple of uh, what's the word enforcers couple of gangsters and you said that house is mine I'm going to give you a million dirhams for it and that's what the guy wanted but he said I don't want to sell he said no I think you haven't mis- you've misunderstood me son I said it's mine if you want to live until tomorrow you're going to sell me the house the lion aqid it's not sahih in Islam because it's not antaradim minhuma it's not agreed upon or you might have you know when there are like there are like street sellers and they might you know pressure you into buying something they might be around your you know they might be around you and they're pressuring you and they're pressuring to the point where they take the money out of your hand and they put the item you've seen some of them that when they they in other countries where you go especially poor countries and you have people selling on the street they might take this thing they have this little bottle of perfume and this happens wallahi it's a most ajeeb thing you come out I came I can't remember whether it was in a masjid somewhere and I came out and uh, you know someone comes with a bottle of perfume he says here brother this is for you I know it was a book it was a book it wasn't a bottle of perfume it was a book came out with a book he said brother this, this book is for you so I, I didn't say anything I just looked at the book I said okay Jazakallah khair uh, he said whatever he wanted any like yeah, 20 dirhams or whatever I said I, I don't want the book and he said no no this book is for you and then you know this kind of behavior it does not this sale this sale does not count there is one exception to this and that is what the judge or the government force a person to sell as part of a legal dispute so you have a debt and the government sees your or the court seizes your house and they force you to sell your house to pay the debt in this case what do we say we say the sale is valid but hold on a second the seller did not want to sell the property was taken from him kurhan and he was forced to do it by the bank by the government by the court he was forced to sell it but if it is something which is this is what is called al-bay'u kurhan bihaq it is forced to sell but the the person who is forcing you to sell it has a right to force you to sell it has a right to force you to sell it and the simplest example of that is a court case the judge says you have to sell your house say judge i don't want to sell my house he says the ruling of the court is you have to sell your house and we're going to force you to sell it on or we're going to sell it on your behalf is a person allowed to purchase that property? Yes. 
even if it is not birrida, even if it is not with the contentment of both parties. Because here, the fact that the seller is not content doesn't matter because it is the right of the court to force him to sell the property. So this is the first condition, contentment. The second one is that each party should be allowed to enter into transactions. Each party should be allowed to enter into transactions. What they call jaiz at-tasarruf. The person is allowed to conduct transactions. Who is not allowed to conduct transactions? A small child. Someone who is insane. And someone who is safir. Now, some people may not understand this terminology. The word safir doesn't mean that they are stupid. Even though that is what the word itself indicates. And it doesn't mean that they are insane. As-safi is the one الَّذِي لَا يُحْسِنُ التصرف. They are not able to carry out transactions uh, in a proper way. So maybe they are just somebody who is just bad with money. They're bad with money. You know, they're perfectly okay in everything else. But when it comes to money, everybody takes advantage of them. And you know people, if you think about this, you will know people like this. People who are not suitable to carry out transactions. So you come back and you're like, he's like, I bought this pen for a thousand dirhams. You're like, you bought a pen for a thousand dirhams? This pen is in the store for five dirhams. Why do you bought it for a thousand dirhams? Oh, I just wanted to. Somebody who is not good, not suitable, not appropriate to be able to buy and sell. Someone who gets taken advantage of. They have a weak, uh, they have a weak uh, sort of, uh, or an, they get easily taken advantage of. This happens. You know, you get people who are not suitable to buy and sell. Who defines who is suitable? Generally, it should be the court. It should not be that you just said to your brother, look, you know, you're a Safi, don't, I'm going to do your buying and selling. No, it should be the court. You, if, if a person is Safi, you go to the court and you say to the court, my brother is not suitable to buy and sell things. And I will give you examples. He sold his brand new Toyota Land Cruiser for 2,000 dirhams to somebody because he told him it would be a good deal. This is my example. So then the judge will look at it and the judge will say, yes, this person is Safi. He is not suitable to carry out buying and selling. Therefore, I appoint you to be his wakil. You are going to buy and sell on his behalf and everything that he buys and sells is invalid. The judge makes a ruling. So when he goes to the, for example, he goes to, you know, to buy something, his buying and selling is invalid, or the judge may say he's not allowed to buy and sell anything over a certain value. 
and he can go to the store and buy and buy milk and bread but he's not allowed to enter into these transactions where there is a verbal discussion because he's a person who gets taken advantage of and so the judge will say okay you 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 or this person has to approve his transactions before he enters into them The third condition is that that which is sold should be a kind of wealth. Now, this is where we get into some terminology and I thought I think it's useful to talk about this. I don't want to say, you know, definitively, but there are different type the word mal mal wealth is something which is confusing because when we say mal or wealth the first thing that comes into mind is money and money in Islam is defined as gold and silver or what is used instead of gold and silver as a currency and in Islam, money, when you hear the word money, you think of gold and silver. Al-dhahab wal-fidda. Al-dinar wal-dirham. Gold and silver, which used to be dinar and dirham. A dinar is a particular measurement of, of that, uh, that metal. And a dirham is a particular measurement. Any one in gold and one in silver. A dinar or dirham, not the dinar, not the dirham of uh, al-Emirati. Yani. The, dir, the dinar and the dirham of old, a measure of gold and a measure of silver, or whatever currency is used instead of them. These days we don't carry around little gold nuggets and little silver nuggets and say, okay, it's two silver nuggets and half a gold nugget. Yani. These days we carry around paper notes. This is generally what comes to your mind when you talk about wealth. However, in Kitabul Bayr, the word mal has a wider meaning. And the author here defines it as Mubaha. Whatever there is a permissible benefit in. Anything that has a permissible benefit. That could be goods, that could be a service that you offer that is of a benefit to somebody anything which has a permissible benefit in it however it gets more complicated because sometimes they talk about al-malu wal-ain in the same sentence they talk about mal wealth and ain ain meaning an object so when they talk about wealth and an object, wealth means gold and silver and currency, and an object is something that you, 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 know, you can describe, it's an object or a service that you can describe and that you exchange for money. So the problem here, it's one of those words that is, it has two or three different usages, and it's easy to get confused about what people mean. But here, in the... The author defines it for you. He says the third condition 
is that what is sold should be mal. What is sold should be wealth. However, he defines what it is. He says anything which has a permissible benefit. Okay, what is this? What do we get rid of? Anything which is either not permissible or anything which has no benefit. So an example which they say of having no benefit, uh, a rotten animal carcass. The animal is, is, a, is a halal animal. Yani it was an animal that was slaughtered in a way that is halal. But the carcass has rotten. There is nothing you can do with it. And you cannot eat it, you cannot sell it, you cannot use it, you cannot treat it, you cannot do anything with it. Or like when some of the scholars say, selling something that has, you know, it has no benefit in it at all. And they have like examples for that, like, I'm going to sell you this ant. Here is an ant, small ant, I picked from the floor. I'm going to sell you this ant. Or you pick up a, 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 a three stones from the floor. You say, I'm going to sell you this, this rubble, this pile of sand in my hand. It has no manfa'i, any. there is nothing you can do with it, nothing at all. Or it's not permissible. Like selling alcohol or selling grapes to someone that you know will produce alcohol from it and so on. Included in that are things which is, it is permissible to use but not permissible to sell. So they are, also not, they are also outside of this condition. Things that are permissible to use but not permissible to sell, like a hunting dog. A hunting dog is permissible to use. You're allowed to use a hunting dog, a guard dog, but it is not permissible to sell it. The Prophet ﷺ forbade the price of a dog. And he forbade the selling of dogs. So I can take a hunting dog or a guard dog, but I can't buy one. I can't buy it. I can't exchange it for money or exchange it for a benefit. I can't say that I'll work, I'll work in your house for three days if you give me this dog. Or I'll pay you... 2,000 dirhams for this dog. The dog I can use. Because it's for hunting or for guarding or whatever. Or it's a dog to lead the blind person. A guide dog or something like that. But I can't sell it. Because it is not manfa'atu mubaha. It is not a permissible Beneficial item or service. The fourth condition is that the item should belong to the seller or he should have permission to sell it. The fourth condition the item should belong to the seller. Or the seller should have permission to sell it. So let's look at these two examples. 
the item should belong to the seller. So I cannot sell what doesn't belong to me. So I turn up outside in the car park and I say this, you know, very nice Lexus in the car park. Who wants to buy it? Then a brother comes and says, that's my car. You can't sell my car. That's my car. That doesn't belong to you. You can't sell what you don't own. You can't sell what you don't own. Unless you are permitted to sell it. So for example, you are the wakil, you are the agent. And I said to you, this is my car, I want you to sell it. As long as you get 50,000 dirhams for it, I'm happy. Go. So he goes and he, sell, he tries to sell it to this person, this person. Finally he gets the money and he's an agent, he's a broker. Or, in the example of the Safi, the, the one who is not able to transact, the one who is appointed to transact on their behalf. Sometimes called the wasi or the kafil or the wakil. So here your brother is not able to buy and sell because he's, he keeps getting taken advantage of. The judge let you sell, buy and sell on his behalf. So you sell his car on his behalf. You sell his car on his behalf. So the, the fourth condition is that the item should be owned, yani it should be owned by the buyer or the buyer should have the permission to sell it. The fifth condition that the buyer should be able to deliver the product to the person. Now by deliver I don't mean in a van to his house. I mean he should be able to, to give it to or, or to hand it over to the, to the buyer. The seller should be able to hand it over to the buyer. So why might this not be the case? For example, someone has uh, a car, but his car got stolen. His car is still his, it doesn't belong to the thief, right? It's his car. So he says, I'm going to sell you my car, it's okay, I own it. Here are the documents, the, 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 the mulkiya, you can see it here. The, the ownership documents for the car, the warranty, the service manual, all of it is here. The guy says, where is the car? He says, oh, the car got stolen last week. No. You cannot sell something that you do not have the ability to hand over. Unless, okay, there is a condition in the madhab, there is a condition. Unless you are selling it to someone who is able to recover it. So, someone who is a bit of a bully came and he stole your, let's say he, st he stole your, and your car from it. And he's like, maybe he's a policeman, for example. And he just came and took your keys and drove your car away. But the guy you're selling it to is of a higher, you know, he's also in the same, he's also a policeman, but he's of a higher rank. So he says, yes, I know he took it from you, but don't worry, I will take it back from him. In this case, it is allowed for you to sell 
the item that you don't have the ability to hand over because the buyer has the ability to get it. The buyer has the ability to get it. And there are lots of conditions in this, like the issue is what happens if the buyer thought he can get it, but he can't get it, and he has the right to return the wealth and things like that. But this is something they mention in the madhab anyway. They mention the issue of selling it, selling something you can't hand over, but the buyer is able to get it back. Even though you were not able to hand it over to him, he was able to, he is able to, ha- to get it back. The sixth condition is that it should be something which is known in one of two ways. And the object of sale should be, or the objects, and the sale and the money in return, should be something which is known in one of two ways. Either by looking at it, Okay, so that's the easiest one. I'm going to sell you this iPad. Have a look at it. You can look at it, you can examine it. Or, by describing it with a description that is sufficient for a salam. Okay, this is where we get a little bit, we have to stop and think for a while. A salam is a kind of transaction which we haven't come to yet. We will probably come to it inshallah. Which is where you give money to someone to go and get something for you. Okay, you give money to someone to go and acquire that product for you. In order for that to be valid, to be a valid sale the description has to be of a certain level of accuracy. And you can't give someone some money and say to them, and I'm not talking about a waki, I'm not talking about giving your son five dirhams and say, go get, go get me a pen. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about you go to a company and you say to that company, I'm in the market for a rare painting by Picasso okay I'm going to give you the money you go get it for me the art dealer says okay I'll go get it for you you give me the money this is a salam but for it to be valid the description has to be incredibly accurate you can't just be saying go get me a pen I want a car the same level of accuracy is required when describing a product that you have for sale if the person can't see it. So it's not enough to say that I have a car for sale. Do you want to buy it? Or I have a Toyota Land Cruiser for sale. Do you want to buy it? What year is it? What model is it? How, what, how many scratches has it got on it? How often has it been serviced? You have to have enough of a description that it would be valid in a salam, which is where you give someone money and you tell them to go and get the product for you. And it has to be of a, a we'll say it has to be of a complete description. But there are things that you can completely describe. You know, there are things that really you don't have to see them. Maybe that's because you have, like they are well known. 
like rice, maybe. Yeah, I have two tons of class A basmati rice, which came from this place in wherever, wherever they grow rice. Yeah. This place in, in wherever it is. And it was harvested on this year. And so on and so forth. It has to be with enough description that it is sufficient for the sale to take place. As for saying I have two tons of rice and you don't know it's rice from 10 years ago or rice from last year or it's, it's good quality or not good quality. No, you can't, you can't sell something like this. But there are things that if you describe them enough, a person is able to buy without seeing it. That is the sixth condition. And the seventh one is that the themen, the, the money, uh, Or the, yeah, I mean the, the, the money that you're handing over to buy the product should be something known. It should be something, it should be a set known amount. You cannot say, I will sell you this pen for whatever's in your pocket. Might be a thousand dirhams in my pocket. There might be one dirham in my pocket. There might be two dirhams, there might be fifty dirhams, there might be a hundred dirhams. Or it could be said in another way. It could be said for whatever you earn next week. I'll sell you this car for whatever you earn next week. Or even more in terms of the most common one, the one that we come across all the time, whatever you want to give me. This is a haram form of buying and selling. How do you make it halal? Because it happens all the time. Uh, I remember we went on a little trip and we were in the, you know, we took a boat. And when we got on the boat, we said to the guy before we got on the boat, you take us to this island uh, and you bring our, our food and you bring our stuff and you pick us up the next day. He said, no problem. He said, how much? He said, whatever you want to give me. He said, no, how much? He said, whatever you want to give me. You give me something and... Uh, Whatever you give me. This is not permissible. How do you make it permissible? You give him an offer and you let him say, okay. So for example, he says, whatever you want to give me. Say, okay, I'm going to give you 500 dirhams. Is that okay? Whatever you want to give me. I am going to give you 500 dirhams. I'm telling you now. Are you happy? Okay, I'm happy. No problem. But you can't get in a car and the guy says whatever you want to give me. And this is important because this is not a correct way of selling and it leads to enmity between people. Because when he says whatever you want to give me, he doesn't mean whatever you want to give me. In his mind, he, he means that, you know, I'm a bit shy to say that I want like a thousand dirhams for this, but I'm, I'm too shy to say it to you. So I'm just going to say whatever you want to give me and then I'm going to smile at you and hopefully you give me more. That's what people do. And in certain countries, it's very common. Almost all transactions happen like this. I'll be like, whatever you want. No problem. If he says whatever you want, you give him a figure before the transaction takes place. You give him a figure. You say, I'm going to give you 500 dirhams for this. Is that okay? 
or whatever you want. Okay, I'm going to make it clear that before I get on this boat, what I'm going to give you is 500, not 600, not 550, not 450. I'm going to give you 500. Are you happy? Yes. Okay, the author then goes on to the transactions that are invalid. The first one that he mentions that is invalid and this is where there's quite a bit of difference between Akhsar al-Mukhtasarat and between Kafi al-Mubtadi and I'll try and Okay, the first one that he mentions is The one who Jumu'ah is obligatory for, if he buys or sells after the second Adhan, then the Adhan that is done in front of the Imam, the sale is invalid, unless there is a need. So this is one of the things in the Madhab. Like usually you get these kind of sort of things, and come up. So this is the example of today's Jumu'ah. The Imam... The adhan for Jumu'ah goes The Imam says Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And the adhan for Jumu'ah goes Okay At this point in the madhab It is invalid for anyone to buy or sell anything Unless there is a need What is a need? For example a person does not have water to make wudu with so, and, and there is no water in the masjid, so he buys a bottle of, he buys a bottle of water to make wudu with. Or he has to buy a, some clothing to cover his aura with. His clothing got dirty, got impure. So he has to buy new clothing to cover his aura with. Or he's sick, and he has to buy like a medicine, that he needs to take right away. Otherwise, the, 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 uh, uh, the transaction is invalid. The author said, All other transactions are valid. Yani meaning, all other contracts are valid, including nikah and so on and so forth. In the madhab, you can do a nikah after the, after, while the Jumu'ah khutbah is going on. You may be sinful, but that's a different issue. But you can't buy or sell any presumably based upon the ayah whether they leave all buying and selling. 
The second example that the author gives of buying that does not that is invalid and selling is selling fruit juice or grapes to the one who is going to make alcohol. Now here it's important to note you are not required to ask the customer what they are going to do with the thing that you sell them. But if you know that they are going to use it for haram, you're not allowed to sell it to them. Or if it is ghalabatul dhan, and you believe strongly that they are going to use it for haram. You might not be certain, but you have, you know, you have a strong inclination that they're going to use it for haram, you're not allowed to sell it to them. And as you know, there are companies who deal in alcohol, there are companies who are known for it and, and known for certain things. And if you sell them something, you know what it is that they're going to do with it. So it's not permissible for you to sell something to someone when you know or you have a strong inclination that it will be used for haram. But you're not required to ask your customers what they do with things. And if someone comes to you and says, I want to buy a knife. It's not required for you to say, what are you going to use the knife for? Are you Are going to cut vegetables? Are you Are going to stab somebody? Are you going to, you know, you're going to threaten someone? You're not required to ask someone. But if someone comes in and it's clear that they're going to use this for something haram, it's not allowed for you to sell it to them. So someone has a fight outside of your supermarket and he comes in in a furious rage and he picks up a knife and he puts it on the counter. You think he's cutting his apples? No, he's not cutting his apples yet. It's obvious to you that he is going to use it for something haram. You say, I'm sorry, I can't sell it to you. But it's not required for you to ask every customer what they're going to use the product for. Likewise, Selling weapons in a fitna. Now, it's important to note here, and this is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, maybe it's going to come into some aqidah issues and things like that. But the issue of a fitna is not the issue where there is one group that has rebelled against another and the other group is valid in, 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 in fighting anyone. For example, there is a little group that has rebelled and the main body of the Muslims is fighting against them to quell the rebellion. Fight against the one who transgresses until they agree to the command of Allah. This is not qital fitna. This is not qital fitna. But qital fitna is where it is not clear to you that any that either of them are deserving of it. Yani it's just people are just fighting each other and it's not clear to you which one or that any of them are deserving of the of this uh, of this fighting. So it's not allowed for you to sell weapons in the case that there is a, a fitna going on. And people are fighting in the streets and, and you know people are killing each other. And it's not that one of, one of the groups is right and one of them is wrong. Why I say this is, if you look at what happened between the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, you see that there are three opinions among those Sahaba. One of them 
is the opinion that Ali ibn Abi Talib عن, was in the right and that the other Sahaba were in the wrong and that he was justified to fight them. The other opinion is the opposite. That Muawiyah was in the right and that he, Ali was in the wrong and that Muawiyah was justified to fight him. For these two people, it's not qital fitna. It's not fitna. There were some Sahaba who stepped back and did not take place, part in any of the fighting. Because in their eyes, it was qital fitna. Yani neither of them, we don't know any of them are right, and this is just fighting without reason. Which is why we say it's a perspective issue. It may not be, and we know that the truth was with Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu because of the ahadith and the ayat which indicate, because of the ahadith which indicate this. But the point is that like the scholars say, those people who fought alongside Ali, it was wajib for them to do so. Because it's only qital fitna if you don't know that either side is upon the truth. But once you know that one side is on the truth and one side is right, you have to help the side that is right. And so those people who made ijtihad and saw that the truth was with Ali ibn Abi Talib, it was obligatory for them to fight. As in the ayah in Surah Al-Hujurat, it's obligatory for them to fight. And those people who made ijtihad and saw that the truth was with Muawiyah, it was obligatory for them to fight for him. And it's not permissible for them to stand back. Because some people have a misconception, they say, oh, the best of the Sahaba were those who did not take part. This is not true. Each of them did what was obligatory for them. The ones who did not take part were the ones who didn't know which one of the two are right. I don't know if he is right, I don't know if he is right, so I don't take part. This is qital fitna. This is what is meant by a fitna. Where you cannot determine which of the two sides is right. You cannot determine which of the two sides is correct and which of the two sides is wrong. As for those who are able to determine which of the two sides are correct and which of the two sides are wrong, it's not allowed for them to hold back and say, I'm not going to sell any weapons, I'm not going to fight for you, I'm not going to join in because I, I, but even though I know you're right. Now, if you know who is right, then you have to help them. As Allah said, فَقَاتِلُوا الَّتِي تَبَغِي حَتَّى تَفِيءَ إِلَىٰ أَمْرِ اللَّهِ Fight against those who transgress against you until they return to the command of Allah. This is not qital fitna. The fighting which is a fitna is where it is not possible to tell which of the two are right. So this is an important issue to note. When you can't tell which of the two are right, it's not allowed for you to sell weapons, or it's clear that both of them are wrong. And sometimes there is a fighting between two groups of Muslims, and it's clear both of them are wrong. And it's clear that both of them are wrong. And it is a fight with no reason, no benefit, no purpose, and it's just, you know, you can tell both of them are wrong. You cannot sell weapons to both sides, like the Yahud used to do. The Yahud used to do this in Medina. They will set the Aus and the Khazraj against each other and then they'll sell weapons to the Aus and weapons to the Khazraj. This is the methodology of the Yahud. And until today, they do the same thing. 
This is a way of the non-Muslims in general. Yani. They will set two people fighting against each other and they will give weapons to both sides. Because their purpose is just to make money. For the Muslim, no. We look at the circumstances and if the circumstances are such that there is no justification for either side, then if there is no justification for either side, we call this qitalu fitna. It is simply a fitna, simply a trial. And we are not allowed to fuel it or support it in any way. The next example the author gives of the selling which is haram is al-bay'u ala bay'i akhi and al-shira'u ala shira'i akhi Okay, uh, there are two uh, issues here which people often confuse al-bay'u ala bay'i akhik and al-sawmu ala sawmi akhik buying or, or sort of Pushing your brother out of a sale in two different ways. The one which the sale is invalid is the first one. Al bay'u ala bay'i akhi. This is an invalid sale in the madhab. The example of this is one where the transaction has taken place, the selling has, is done. But the buyer has a right to return the product. What you do is, you go and you or someone goes and they convince the buyer to return the product so that they can sell an alternative product to him. So you went and you bought a kilogram of dates. One kilo of dates at the market stall. While you are still stood at the market stall, you have the right to refund the dates. Because the Prophet said, The buyer and the seller have the right to refund and as long as they do not part ways. Meaning as long as the person is still stood at the market stall, he has the right to say, actually I've changed my mind, I don't want these dates, give me my money back. And the seller has also the same right. The seller can say, I've changed my mind about selling you these dates, give them back and I'll give you your money back. As long as the two have not parted ways and he's not left his stall and gone to somewhere else, they have the right to a refund. Or a voluntary refund may be given. Meaning that you buy, um, let's say you buy an item like a gadget, like you buy a phone, and he says you have seven days in which you can return it. Islam forces you to have khiyar al-majlis. Meaning that as long as he, you are in the, in the store, you have a right to a refund, even if he doesn't want to give you a refund. Shara'an, you have a right to a refund as long as you haven't left the shop. That is defined in the sharia. Nobody has the right to take that away from you ever for anything. As long as you are still in the shop, you have the right to a refund. However, there is an optional refund on top of that, which is that the, buy, the seller offers the buyer an additional period of choice and says, I know Islam says that while you're in the shop you can have a refund, but I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you three days. 
you have three days in which you can, you can bring the product back and get a refund. This time, someone comes and says, Look, I have a car that's a better deal than the one that you got. Okay? Go and refund this one that you got, get the money back, and I'll sell, it, I'll sell you mine for less. This is al-bay'u al-bay'i akhik. This is selling on the patch, literally selling on the patch of your brother. Yani selling on your brother's patch, selling in your brother's place. Or selling over your brother's sale. So what you do is you take a sale that's already happened while the buyer has a choice and you convince the buyer to return the product so that you can sell him the product instead. So you're at the stall, you bought a kilogram of dates. The man at the next stall comes up and says, Ahi, look, these dates he gave you, they're not even that good quality. Return them, get your money back, come over to my stall and I'll sell you my dates for the cheaper price, better quality. This is not only haram, but in the madhab it is invalid. Meaning the transaction in the first place is not valid. And the judge can force them to return the products and go back to the original sale. Likewise for the buyer. Likewise for the buyer. So this example, there is a buyer, he's selling a phone. Okay? He says, I have this phone, I'm going to sell it to you for a thousand dirhams. The seller says a thousand dirhams. The buyer says, I accept. While he's still in the shop, another man comes up and says, Why are you selling it to him for a thousand? I'll give you one thousand one hundred. I'll give you one thousand one hundred. Take it back from him, give him his money back, and I'll buy it for more. This is called a shira'u ala shira'i akhik. This is called uh, buying on your brother's patch or, or buying what your brother has already bought. So there is selling what your brother has already sold and there is buying what your brother has already bought. But in this case, for it to be invalid, the condition is that the sale should have taken place. And in the, according to the Hanabila, this is invalid now. Yani the entire transaction is completely null and void. Return it, the judge or the policeman can force them to return it. And we got these two ideas. One is where you're buying something and someone comes up to you and says, return it and I'll give it better. The other one, you're selling something and someone says, take it back from him and I'll buy it for more. This is haram and the sell, the trade is null and void. However, there is a kind which is haram and is not void. Yani it's haram, you're sinful, but you don't, the, the transaction is valid and you can't force the person to undo the transaction. And that is as-sawmu ala sawmi akhik. That is interrupting the sale before it happens. Whereby, I'm looking at these dates, and I'm like, how much are you going to sell me these dates for? And he says, well, it's, uh, one kilo is 30 dirhams. Okay, one kilo, 30 dirhams. Hmm, should, I have a, should I take a kilo? Should I take two kilos? And then someone comes up and says, look, don't buy from him. Come and buy from me. My dates are better. 
This is as-sawmu ala sawmi akhik. This is like stealing your brother's customers before the sale has happened. And this is haram. But the transaction is valid. In nikah, yes. This comes under in nikah, but they talk about it in a separate issue. And uh, nikah, they call it al-khitwa. Uh, I don't know if they call it al-khitwa ala khitwa ti akhik, but they call it like... Uh, hey, they, They talk about this issue, uh, which is uh, what's it called? Uh, breaking off someone else's engagement, basically. It comes in this topic. But the point is, in, in transactions, there is a type that is haram and invalidates the transaction, and there is a type which is haram and doesn't invalidate the transaction. The difference is whether the sale has taken place or not. Whether the sale has taken place or not. If the sale has taken place, then it is haram and invalid. If the sale has not taken place, it is haram, but you still get to keep the customer you stole. You stole a customer, it's haram for you, but you still get to keep that customer. And you cannot, like the judge cannot force you to send the customer back to the first guy. Our next chapter, and this is the last one we're going to do today because I want to finish nice and early in time for us to go to the event today for the sound heart, inshallah. I'm going to try to finish by about 5 past 10 past 8, uh, so there's plenty of time for us to get back and go. Um, I did also have a, a note from, from, I think, one of the sisters about starting at 6.30. This is also my intention. In first place, we had an agreement with Essentials that we will start the Essentials about 10 to 15 minutes after shuruq according to how the time moves so now if we look at shuruq time is 10 past 6 so by default the starting time for essentials should be half past 6 that is what it should be uh, I don't know why it was kept at 7 o'clock I think the staff at Kalima made a mistake that they sent out a message to everyone saying the essentials is at 7 o'clock without asking me first so then I had no choice but to keep going at 7. But otherwise, it should be at half past 6 because the agree we, we took a survey from the students and we agreed that we would start about 15 to 20 minutes after shuruq to give time for people to sit in the masjid and pray the uh, two raka'at. Uh, but we will start like that. So generally, like the essentials will start from now on at half past 6. But today we're going to finish a little bit early. We have one more chapter to do today. And this is the chapter of Terms and conditions. I like this chapter, it's fun. Because this is also a, an area where you have to have a little bit, you have to concentrate a bit, right? Terms and conditions apply. Where often you see, and look how detailed Islam is, the, the transaction itself may be valid. And pretty much what we've covered so far is everything you need for a transaction to be valid in the open sense of the word. But now we come to terms and conditions Where they write in tiny letters T and C apply But it doesn't have to be tiny letters you, Terms and conditions are things we deal with in sales all the time 
I'll sell you this but I'll buy this from you if you do this and there are three types of terms and conditions uh, in Akhsar Mukhtasarat it says two and then it divides the second one into two and three so that's if you want to do it like that you can you can say there are two types of terms and conditions and the second one can be divided into A and B so the first one is a valid condition a valid condition and the second one is an invalid condition and an invalid condition can be divided into two an invalid condition which renders the sale null and void in its entirety and an invalid condition which only nullifies that condition itself so there are three and this is true for pretty much all kinds of contracts that there are there are two or three term ty- types of conditions either there's a condition in your contract which is valid what we call sahihun lazim meaning that it's valid and you have to apply it and if the party doesn't apply it you have the right to go to the judge and force them to apply it or it's invalid and if it's invalid one of two things happen either the entire sale is invalid or the sale is valid but that condition is not carried out So let's see in the madhab what is valid and what is invalid and out of what is invalid what ruins the whole contract and what only ruins the specific term and condition. The first one that is mentioned or there are three in in the first line that are mentioned and they give examples because actually it's not easy to give a definition of everything that is a valid condition in fact a valid condition is everything that's not an invalid condition why because what did we say about buying and selling didn't we say that al aslu fil fil muamalat al hil al ibaha that the basic idea is that every condition is valid every sale is valid when we talk about buying and selling, the basic idea is that every sale is valid except what Islam says you're not allowed to do. So he gives examples here. The first example he gives is the condition of a mortgage. Now by mortgage, I don't mean mortgage as in a mortgage on your house. Um, I'm going to say instead of mortgage, because the word mortgage might confuse people, a secured loan would be a better terminology because a mortgage is a kind of a secured loan and we call this in Arabic ar-rahan which is a secured loan what this means is that I, you and me, we, buy, we, get, we enter into a transaction and I don't have all of the money available to give you right now. 
So I say, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you within this month. You say, that's fine, but I want a guarantee. I want an item of value that if you don't pay me, I will sell it to get the money back. And that item of value could be the same item that you sell. Like for example, when you, take, when you buy a car and you pay in installments, the car itself is the security. The car itself is the security, meaning that if you don't keep up on your installments, they take the car and they sell it. Now, this is a different issue because they sell it whether they are allowed to keep all of the money or only the amount that they're owed and it's, it's a different issue. But the idea of having a security, having something which secures the loan is something which is not a, not in, it's, it's, it's something which is acceptable in Islam. And like we said, it could be the item itself. So I say, okay, you're going to sell this car, 50,000 dirhams. I say, okay, but I don't have 50,000 dirhams right now. I'll pay you before the end of the month. He says, okay, but the car is security. Meaning that if you don't pay me the 50,000 by the end of the month, I'm going to take the car, I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to take the amount that I am owed from that transaction. Or the security is something else. So he says, this expensive watch that you have, leave it with me. When you have paid me the full amount of the car, I'll give you back your watch. Say, I don't have the money. Say, okay, do you have anything else of value? Says, yeah, I have an expensive watch. Okay, no problem. Give me the watch. Put the watch in my... I'll take the watch from you. When you pay me the full money for the car, I'll give you the watch back. This is a secured loan or a security. Maybe I think the most general term for it is a security. And an item which if you don't pay me, I'm going to sell that item and I'm going to use it to pay myself with. The second example of a valid condition he gives is a guarantor. So again, this is an example where I, the buyer cannot pay. And he says, okay, bring me a guarantor. That is a person who agrees that if you don't pay, he will pay. A guarantor, a dhamin. So he agrees if you don't pay, he will pay. So for example, I say, I'm going to buy this car for 50,000 dirhams. Say, Wallahi, I don't have 50,000 right now. He says, I'll give you it by the end of the month. He says, Wallahi, look, you know your job is a bit unstable. I. You know, I'm not sure. Can you bring me a guarantor? Can you bring me someone who will say, I will pay if he doesn't pay? He says, okay. So he says, okay. I'll buy the car from you, 50,000 dirhams. I'll pay you by the end of the month. If I don't pay, this brother will pay on my behalf. And the third example they give is an example of delayed payment. An example of delayed payment. So, I will buy this car for 50,000 dirhams and the condition is, I will pay you 
in three months time the condition is I will pay you in three months time like you get these offers what is it called buy now pay buy now pay later buy now pay later this is valid in Islam buy now pay later I'm not saying the way that these guys do it is valid or not that is a different issue but the concept of buy now pay later is valid in Islam as, an, as a concept where you buy the item now and you promise that you, will, you don't have the money or you will pay you, it, whether you have the money or not you, you make an agreement that I will pay later I will pay in three months I will pay in two months and so on however as we're going to hear in the conditions that invalidate it it must be clear when that is going to happen you cannot say I'll pay when it rains or I'll pay yani, I'll pay if I get paid you cannot say I'll pay if I get paid and if I get paid I'll pay if I don't get paid I won't pay it has to be clear I will pay in three months I will pay before the first of January 2019 and so on likewise likewise the seller the seller putting a condition for a known benefit so for example, the seller says, I will sell you the house on the condition that I can live in it for a month. The seller owns the house. He says, I'll sell you the house today on the condition that I can live in it for a month. This is valid. But it has to be nafan ma'luma. It has to be clearly defined what it is. It's not like that, you know, like that I can still use it. What do you mean use it? You can live in it, you can store your stuff in it, you can, you know, what do you mean? Like it has to be something which is clearly defined. So the seller says, I'll sell you the house as long as I can keep my furniture in the garage for a year. No problem. It happens a lot. People say, I'll sell you the house on the condition that I can live in it until I buy my new house in six months time or something like that. Likewise, the condition which the buyer puts upon the seller. When the buyer says to the seller, I will buy this wood from you as long as you chop it into pieces. Or I will buy this wood from you as long as you carry it to my house. We do this. For example, when we go and buy electrical goods, we say, I will buy this refrigerator on the condition that you deliver it to my house. It might not be said like that. It might be that they say, I'll deliver it to your house. You'll deliver it to my house? Yes, for free, for free. Okay, I buy it. It's bought, sold. So you bought the refrigerator on the condition that they will deliver it to your house. These are the examples that the author gives of a valid, 
of valid conditions. They are only examples. They are not an exhaustive list. Then he says, but if you join between two conditions, the sale is invalid. If there are two conditions, if there are two conditions in the same sale, it is invalid. So for example, there is a secured loan and the seller agrees to live in the house for a month. Or you agree that they're going to deliver the product to the house and they agree that you can buy now, pay later. For example. Any two conditions in the same contract in the madhab are invalid. And Allah knows best, but it seems to me that this is from the point of said of the stopping riba from happening and, and unclear transactions, where the contract is so complicated, is so complicated that it's not clear who is getting what. Now that doesn't mean you can never have more than one terms and conditions. Yani, like that's not the meaning here. But you take these major issues like delaying the payment, major issues like a secured loan, and you mix them with another major issue like the benefit of the seller or, or a condition of work from the buyer, and you, you kind of mix them all into one, then in the madhab, if you join together two conditions, the sale is invalid. And this seems to me, wallahu alam, to be, as we said, from the point of avoiding ambiguity and avoiding the possibility of things like riba. Because it's very easy to structure riba into a complicated contract. That's why when you see the banks today and they give you these contracts that are like any pages and pages long and then they tell you it's Islamic banking, the reality of it is, is that that is how they are able to structure riba into it. Because it's so complicated and there are so many cross conditions that it's incredibly easy for them to put riba. There's a delayed payment condition and there's, a, you know, uh, there's discussions about you, you delay the payment but then if you're late in the payment there's a fee for this and there's a fee for that and there's a percentage and there's a profit and he gets a profit from this and he keeps it and if you give it then he does it. And it becomes so complicated that it is easy to structure riba and ambiguity and dhulm and oppression into these contracts. So there are certain conditions in that regard. As we said, we're teaching you today the madhab. There may be the rajih is, uh, yani is more different than that. But at least yani in the madhab, it is not allowed for you to join two of these conditions together. Okay. What about the one that invalidates very quickly? Because we're going to finish up inshallah. Just a few more bullet points. As for the ones that are invalid, we said there are two types. An invalid condition which ruins the contract and an invalid condition which only ruins itself. The only thing that happens is the condition is invalid. That's it. Okay. What is the one that ruins the whole contract? He gives examples. The first example that he gives is that the condition is part of a separate contract 
for a loan or something else. That the condition is part of a separate contract for a loan or something else. And this is almost exactly what they do in the concept of ijar. This concept of buying a house by what the quote-unquote Islamic banks call ijar. Which is basically that I will rent, I will sell it to you if you will rent it from me. Selling is a contract. Renting is a contract. You made a condition of the sale another part of another contract. I will buy this house for you and sell it to you if you agree to rent it from me. For this amount of this many years. And in the madhab, this is batil. I mean, the entire contract is invalid from beginning to end. And there is no doubt that this is madhalun kabir lil riba. This is a major way that riba is entered into things. That you are buying and renting in a single contract. La. You buy in one contract and you rent in another contract. Meaning, is what the bank should do is they sell you the house. And you are the owner of the house regardless of whether you rent it or whether you don't rent it. And then they rent it to you in a separate contract. That rental contract you can give to somebody else. That rental contract you can get rid of it. You can sell it on to somebody else. You can sublet it to somebody else. But the two are separate. But as for saying I will not sell this house to you unless you agree to take a rental contract from me and you cross the two contracts together, then this is what is intended by putting a condition from another contract for a loan or something else. Likewise, putting al- what, or what is called al-bay al-mu'allaq, a sale which is conditional on a future event. A sale which is conditional on a future event. This ruins the contract. So like saying, I will sell to you if it rains. Or I will sell to you if Zaid is happy. And he, Zaid is not a partner. If Zaid is a partner, that's a different issue because you can't sell until he's happy. But Zaid is just, you know, like, oh, I don't do anything unless my dad is happy. It's sold to you. But uh, if my dad's not happy, it's not sold to you. No, in this case, the transaction is invalid. Now that doesn't mean that if your dad, his dad is happy that you can't sell it to him because that will be like a new transaction. But the original promise to sell if my dad is happy is invalid. As for the condition that doesn't invalidate the entire contract, the example he gives is I'll buy it from you as long as there is no loss for me when I sell it on. I'll buy it from you as long as I don't lose money when I sell it on. And if I lose money when I sell it on, you have to pay the, you have to pay the, uh, the loss. This happens also. These are things that happen a lot. People will say, I'll buy this object from you Because the guy's telling you, you'll make so much money. Okay, no problem. I'll buy it from you, but if I lose money, you have to pay what I lose. 
What do we say in this? The sale is valid. The possession belongs to that other person. But he's not liable to pay, the seller is not liable to pay the losses of the buyer. The condition is invalid in of itself, but the sale is, the sale is okay. This happens, this happens with all sorts of contracts. And you'll see, subhanAllah, in so many things, uh, things like sports people and whatever, like they, they will, you know, I'll sell you this footballer, whatever, but if I, if I don't sell him for more money next year, then you guys are going to pay the difference, in, you're gonna, you guys are going to pay the loss. And things like this. This is not a valid condition in Islam. And it's a kind of bay' mu'allaq. Like saying, I'll sell, I'll, t- I'll sell you when the rain falls, or I'll sell you as long as there is no loss, and so on and so on and so forth. There are other examples given, but these are the ones that I wanted to deal with, uh, first of all. And the next chapter that he deals with, which we're not going to do now, is Al-Khiyar, the issue of choice and refunding. The issue of choices and the issue of refunding. Now, very briefly, just a couple of things before we finish up. Uh, again, any of these issues, the topic of buying and selling is a little bit difficult and it requires some concentration. So you guys are going to have to concentrate a lot during the, the classes, inshallah. There are a lot of real world examples that get confusing because, you know, things, the, the problem with buying and selling is we talk about theory here, but in the real world, like it may be, it may be more complex than a simple example like this. Because you know there's nothing more complex than business contracts. You know, it's like they twist it around, backwards and forwards, so that you don't know what you're buying and what you're selling. And this in the first place is against Islam. Islam likes clarity. You know, one of the kinds of trading which is haram is al-gharab, ambiguity. Where you don't know what you're buying, you don't know what you're selling, because it's so, the, the contract is so complex. And one of the major ways people take advantage of other people is through complex contracts which Islam doesn't allow. So this is something to to bear in mind uh, inshallah ta'ala. We're going to stop now because we have to go for the uh, the class, the Sound Hearts class. Please remember that two things. Second, uh, first thing is there is no Friday night class tonight because it's the fifth week of the month. The fifth Friday of the fifth week. The fifth Friday of the month. So the fifth Friday we never have a Friday night class. So it's the class that is on today is the Sound Heart Seminar. Sheikh Tahir Wyatt is here. And he will be doing the seminar today, which is in uh, Princess Haya Center in Al-Mizhar. Or if anyone didn't register but wants to come, they can come and pay on the, uh, at the time. According to the Kalima guys, they said they can, people who want to come and register today can come and register today. The next thing is, as you guys know, we have a spring camp scheduled. We have a spring camp scheduled for this Sunday. A lot of people have registered but are kind of not sure whether they're going or not. We need to confirm the numbers really quickly. I would suggest that if you have registered your son to come on the spring camp but you haven't yet confirmed with Kalima or you haven't yet sorted out with them what's happening, please confirm it with them one way or the other because the numbers at the moment are like up and down because there's a lot of people who said yeah yeah we might we might not we might we might not uh, they need to register for the spring camp if people want to find out more about the spring camp it's on the website dubai springcamp.com
Uh, I think that is all. I won't be taking questions today because of going to the seminar. I have to go pick up family. But if any of you want to catch me at the seminar, you can catch me there, inshallah ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal